Um, I have been uh, ruined by boats since the age of nine. I mentioned that first uh, experience when I was a youngster. You can see me here in this photo. Uh, at the age of nine, I bought a book called The Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald, which is a little relevant to the story, only because it was uh, the, the Fitzgerald, which is, some people would say, the second most famous shipwreck in the world. Uh, and she was actually homeported and owned by the Northwestern Mutual Life Insurance Company here in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. She's only here one time, but so there's a Milwaukee connection. I read a book when I was nine about the Fitzgerald, and I was, uh, to this day, I was uh, just completely fascinated by the story. Um, so that's me. I use that in my, as my author photo when I did my Fitzgerald book finally 30 years later. So my story goes from the bottom up, and it used to be, interestingly enough, in the context of the Dennis Sullivan, that uh, the only place you could go to see a traditionally rigged Great Lakes cargo schooner was underwater on the bottom of Lake Michigan where there are thousands uh, in the Great Lakes, thousands of them smashed all over uh, in various depths. Uh, wind power was unreliable, there's not a lot of sea room on the Great Lakes, and of course the weather can be pretty atrocious, so there is a lot of uh, uh, mayhem strewn around on the bottom of the lakes. And of course it was also, it remains cold fresh water. So you had, uh, for many years, right up until the 1990s, you had a unique underwater environment in the world where a wooden ship would sink, sometimes before the Civil War, and that wreck would be intact when it was discovered maybe 150 years later to the point that there was still paint on the hull. Uh, in the case of the Alvin Clark in Green Bay, a schooner that was raised, sank in 1865. And the duck that the cook was preparing for lunch when the ship capsized before the civil, during the Civil War was still intact in the galley. Uh, that was very unique. Uh, sadly, um, as John mentioned, uh, we've had the influx of this tiny little thing called a, initially it was a quagamara zebra mussel, and now it's a quagga mussel, uh, a little tiny invasive species that came over from the Caspian Sea, and it has in the span of two decades, carpeted the lower lakes uh, to a point that it has colonized the lake to the point that it's sort of ruined, in my opinion, uh, it sort of ruined our shipwreck resources, uh, freshwater shipwreck resources, because they, uh, the quagga mussel in particular, uh, will in, uh, the zebra mussels needed a fixed, a hard surface. So they encrusted the wrecks to begin with. Now the quagga mussel doesn't even need a hard surface, so it has colonized the entire lake and uh, ruined the shipwrecks and, and sort of taken, in my opinion, the mystery out of it because this, the, you have almost tropical visibility now. So the mystery of exploring a shipwreck eight or ten feet at a time has been lost. And you can uh, There's a Dutch wreck off of our harbor here, and you can see that ship, which starts at the depth of about 45 feet, you can see it from the surface because the water is now so clear. So it has sort of ruined, for me, ruined the, uh, the mystery. This is, of course, our fabulous Dennis Sullivan, uh, the only example of a traditional three-masted Great Lakes cargo schooner in the world, built here at, uh, on this property before it was Discovery World, uh, over a period of about 10 years, by hundreds of people, thousands of people, volunteers, most of them, uh, over a million hours of volunteer labor over the course of a decade. And of course, this is uh, now uh, where we're sitting uh, today, uh, the home port, the official home port of the Sullivan. This photo here, is this thing working? This thing? I don't think it does. It sucks it up. Anyway, the yeah, lower photo, uh, I was warned about that, um, is the, the vessel uh, tying up for the first time 
in uh, 2006 when we opened the building. That was her making her first doc here at Discover World. And that was the end of a long, pretty long story. And so I set out uh, at, at about that time, slowly but surely, it took uh, 10 years to kind of, it felt like a curtain had come down on one part of the story at this stage. And uh, a new chapter is being written as we speak here at Discovery World. So I started uh, with the help of my good friend Joe Ewing, who's here, kind of putting together the materials to tell the story of the Dennis Sullivan, which I, I finally published. Uh, I started calling it the Al the project, uh, the Albatross, uh, after about 10 years of just something I could never quite get finished. Um, and and uh, finally, uh, this year, I published the book. And uh, uh, it's sort of hopefully uh, puts down the early tale of uh, building the first tall ship uh, in Wisconsin in almost about, actually over 100 years. So you can see in this photo, this old engraving here, that uh, where that white circle is, that's where we're standing uh, right now, or sitting, in this case maybe. Uh, that was the first cargo pier. If you go out the building here, you'll see there's an actual historic marker out there that was built in 1846 and destroyed the same winter. They rebuilt it, and eventually uh, they cut through uh, where our harbor, uh, where the home bridge is now, um, created what was called the straight cut, and the, the river then became sort of the hub of, of commercial shipping here in Milwaukee because the lake, as it was at that time, was a pretty inhospitable place, especially in the winter months. Uh, Milwaukee became a center of wooden shipbuilding uh, in the 1850s, uh, 1840s and 50s. Uh, we had, uh, at one point, I think uh, as many as a dozen shipyards here operating on uh, on the rivers. Uh, Wolf and Davison, which is where this advertisement uh, is from, uh, was one of the most prolific uh, builders in the city. And uh, they built, uh, as you can see there, uh, three uh, three examples of, of tall ships, very similar to Dennis Sullivan. That yard actually became the Milwaukee Dry Dock Company, which going back to my Fitzgerald connections. I was actually owned by Edmund Fitzgerald's father uh, some years later as the Milwaukee Dry Dock Company. We never became, for whatever reason, Manitowoc became the center of steel shipbuilding. We never got into uh, wooden ship, uh, uh, or steel ship rather, uh, building. So you had it at the high watermark of sail on the lakes, you had about 3,000 uh, tall ships. And then one by one they went uh, until uh, 1930. The Our Sun sank in Lake Michigan uh, in September. She was the last schooner trading on, on the Great uh, on Lake Michigan at least. She sank in 1930. And uh, in 1935, uh, the Lucia Simpson, you see in this photo here, uh, burned at her dock in Sturgeon Bay. She had been towed up there and was sitting rotting at the dock and finally burned. So there were no more schooners after uh, after the Simpson burned, and uh, that was kind of a sad thing. To give you some gauge of how extraordinary at one time, how how prolific, how how very much um, the uh, semi-trailer truck of the day uh, schooners were. This is a, a lightkeeper's log uh, that uh, very fortunately, right before I printed the book, uh, Mark Keen at the North Point Lighthouse stumbled on this, and one of the keepers jobs, and his many jobs, was to uh, record the vessel passages on a given day. And uh, you can see highlighted there down uh, at the bottom of that ledger, uh, on a July day in 1877, 125 schooners passed North Point Lighthouse in a single 
24-hour period. So it gives you some sense of how many sailing ships uh, would have been in and out of this harbor in the late 19th century. Here again is where we are standing. Uh, this piece of land was created in the late 50s uh, as the Milwaukee Municipal uh, Cargo uh, Auto and Passenger Pier, I believe it's, it was its official title. Um, and this is the, the SS Milwaukee Clipper, which was a ferry, uh, sort of the, the uh, early century version of the Lake Express today. This uh, ferry traded between Muskegon, Michigan, and Milwaukee. Uh, transporting both people in their vehicles and then new vehicles uh, in the westbound direction from Detroit to dealers all around uh, Wisconsin and, and Minnesota. So this uh, site uh, was, after the Clipper ceased operations in 1970, uh, it was occupied by the Port of Milwaukee, and then when they built their new facility over at the other side of the Home Bridge, uh, the building was sort of vacant, and uh, it was leased to the fledgling Wisconsin Lake Schooner Association uh, in about 1991. Uh, at that time, this group of gentlemen decided that, uh, again, as John suggested, the city was waking up again to the significance, the importance of our freshwater resources, and these sort of forward-thinking, civic-minded folks we're kicking around what would be a good way, what would be a good thing, an icon, a prism, uh, to focus Milwaukee's attention on, on Lake Michigan. And what they came up with was recreating a sailing ship, a tall ship, which has a certain romantic appeal like a lighthouse uh, that, that a lot of people uh, across a lot of demographics can sort of relate to or, or can kind of... Uh, uh, get excited about. So they, uh, they kind of got this crazy idea. They had no idea how to go about it, and they went over to the uh, Milwaukee Athletic Club and they borrowed this model, and they did a little article in the Journal Sentinel. This was in 1991, and uh, a schooner was born at the, uh, on that day. This is an original, or early rather, uh, rendering of, of what the site, kind of what they envisioned, the schooner, and then just a repurposed uh, terminal there, which would be a little shoreside uh, museum. Uh, you can see on the left there, that's how they used to unload coal on the Milwaukee River out of a schooner. Uh, big chunks of anthracite coal, wheelbarrow at a time. Uh, on the right is Captain Dennis Sullivan, for whom the vessel is named. I had a heck of a time, right down to the last minute, trying to find an, uh, a good photo of the good captain. Uh, very providentially, right before it was too late, some of his grandchildren, who had no idea that the boat existed, uh, stumbled on it on the internet and called up and said, hey, we'd love to come see this boat that's named after our grandfather. And uh, they happened to have, uh, this was actually his obituary photo, sadly enough, he died in 1917, but uh, they had the first really good quality image of Captain Sullivan that I had ever seen. This was his schooner. Uh, he was involved in all sorts of, uh, sorts of different aspects of maritime commerce. Uh, this was his schooner, the Moonlight, which was a very lovely schooner. Uh, here she is under full sail on Lake Michigan. Like many schooners of that era, she had a hard life. She was wrecked at Marquette, Michigan here in 1896. Uh, she was pitched up on the beach in a storm with the H.A. Kent, which is in front of her there. Uh, you can see the wrecking equipment off to the side. They pulled her off and fixed her back up, and she served for another decade and then came to grief off of Michigan Island in the uh, Apostle Islands up in Lake Superior and sank uh, in deep water and was rediscovered by some some compadres of mine, and uh, Lake Superior, because it doesn't have 
most fingers seem to point to the fact that it doesn't have the right calcium content. It's not been colonized by the zebra and guaga muscles, so it still contains this extraordinary receptacle of, of old wrecked ships. And you can see in this photo taken in 2005, uh, she wrecked in 1905, 100 years later, you can still read the name of the ship across the transom uh, moonlight very clearly. You can see the brass running light, pristine, all of it. The rigging, the standing rigging uh, is still very clean. Uh, that has all been lost, unfortunately, in the lower lakes. Uh, in 92, we got a grant from the Harry Frankie Idea Foundation to create blueprints. And you see that happening here up in Sturgeon Bay. Our naval architect, Tim Grawl, in the short sleeve shirt there, the glasses. And then uh, Nicholas Miller, Yes, Nicholas Miller uh, in the, some of the sunglasses there. He was our first shipwright. He was from Bath, England. So we, the Lake Schooner Association started to create a little bit of momentum. Of course, like anything else, all it takes is money. So as, as a little bit of money came in, we were able to create blueprints. And that made it a little easier to go in front of a group and say, this is what we'd like to do. Please help us, support us, volunteer. Um, this was what passed for a high-tech CAD program in 1992. And the first of the many big twists in the story, uh, we raised enough money to, to uh, build the keel. And that was really exciting. And we hired uh, Peterson shipbuilders up in Sturgeon Bay who were well known for building wooden vessels, mostly for the Navy, minesweepers in particular. And they had the expertise to create laminated structural components, which is quite a fussy and stinky and awful process. And they built our keel. And you see them uh, fabricating, laminating that very large timber. Uh, in, this would have been in 1993. The other big, uh, the big moment uh, that really kicked off the project was the Menominee Nation donating six uh, old-growth white pine trees for the ship's masts and spars. Uh, Wisconsin, like many places in the Midwest, had been clear-cut in the late 19th century, so this sort of timber doesn't exist, or didn't exist, except on the Menominee Reservation up in the middle of the state. So they were uh, very kind to donate six timbers, which became the masts. Here they are arriving in 1994 at what became, that was the site, of course, you can see the First Wisconsin Center, there's always a good reference. Uh, this was the old clipper dock, which became the shipyard uh, of the uh, fledgling Wisconsin Lake Schooner Education Association. Uh, in this uh, wonderful sort of uh, demonstration of ancient wisdom, the Menominees, when you take six trees, you replace six trees. And uh, so an elder uh, and some kids from the uh, Indian School uh, replanted six trees, which are still with us uh, on the other side of the wind leaves out front there. Uh, those trees are still there. They were moved when Discovery World was built. The story of the Dennis Sullivan was not just the story of building a ship. It was the, the story of people building a ship. Uh, I, took, I was learning the trade of photography at the time, so I would take my first camera down into the shipyard here as things started to, to gain some momentum, and I would practice. I was the volunteer photographer. Uh, that shot uh, on the left of, of uh, Iowa Dave Jenks. It was one of my first practice pictures with doing portraits. Uh, this fellow, Dave Jenks, uh, uh, he would travel all the way from Iowa, Ames, Iowa, uh, 
700 miles round trip to work on the Dennis Sullivan. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, it was a largely volunteer effort. Uh, the fellow on the right, Steve Slavic, uh, was a retired uh, craftsman artisan, and he built all our uh, carved all of the uh, the dead eyes. You see him very proudly demonstrating uh, his handiwork. Sadly, a part of the impetus to writing this book was some of these people. They were elderly in the 90s, and they are now not with us. Both these gentlemen have passed on uh, in the past five years. There's some other folks, uh, Claire and Jack McDonald, were there virtually every day for 10 years. Doris Bauer was a retired MPS teacher who created all of our curriculum. Here's the gang right before the ship left in 2000 after she was finished. Uh, this is squaring the masts uh, with a, what's called an Alaska chainsaw mill, squaring them off. Then they had to be pickled in a, a cocktail of linseed oil and turpentine. And then they had to be turned, and you can see that happening here, quite a heavy uh, proposition to the block and tackle and two strong volunteers to turn the masts. The keel was delivered in 95 and then signed by everyone who came to the Q-Laying ceremony and then by all of our kids over the years who uh, came to our uh, what was called Schooner School at that time. And uh, by the time the boat was launched, there were 55,000 signatures on that keel, which are still there to this day. Sadly, uh, this was in 1995, that keel was delivered. We had a party. It was wonderful. Everything was going along. And uh, winter was coming. And uh, there was the education team had rigged a demonstration mast uh, that was built out of a foam pole. And it allowed us to demonstrate to school kids how we would raise and lower the Sullivan's masts when she was finished. Uh, in order to put that keel in the mast shed for the winter, they had to de-rig part of that demonstration mast. They had to take apart the, the cable stays, two of the three, and uh, a volunteer came down, as many did, uh, myself included, to take some photos of this process. And as fate would have it, uh, a gust of wind came off the lake, blew the mast over, struck her in the head, and she died uh, a day later uh, of her injuries. And of course that was a, a difficult thing to accept. Uh, it nearly killed the project. We were devastated, as you might imagine. Um, Everything stopped, came to a screeching halt for some months, and uh, after all the dust settled, I guess everybody kind of put their heads together and agreed that it was probably best to forge ahead, that perhaps the best way we could honor uh, Marcel, uh, was her name, she was a professor actually at, at EWM, perhaps the best way to honor her legacy was to finish the boat. And of course we did, and uh, to this day when the boat is uh, turned out in full dress ship, this beautiful, uh, Cram uh, hangs from her stern, named uh, the, the uh, catch is, uh, not catch, the uh, captain, what do you call that? The White Hall. The White Hall, it's a White Hall skiff, right? Skiff, anyway. So this beautiful little thing hangs from the transom and uh, sort of keeps the memory alive of a volunteer who actually lost or gave her life in pursuit of this dream. So the other big disaster, shortly after uh, accident in the shipyard was uh, Peterson Builders decided to go out of business and uh, they avoided their contract to laminate all of the structural numbers of the Dennis Sullivan. So we had to teach ourselves how to do this work. As you can see here, it was an all hands on deck type affair. Everybody from the office staff on down would go out, laminate this awful resource null epoxy onto the uh, oak 
frames or the, the uh, battens of the oak, uh, these sort of thin oak slices, if you will. And then they were glued up in jigs. And finally, after uh, about six months of, of fabrication, we were ready to raise frame. This is the first one going up in June of 1996. Here's the hull raised, uh, uh, almost ready for the bow and stern. This was in, the, obviously, as you can see from the uh, Christmas tree there, is in the late fall of 96. Raising the stem frame. This uh, piece weighed 6,000 pounds, and it took a crew of volunteers 48 hours, 24 hours a day to laminate that single piece of timber. That was quite an epic proposition. Here's the boat uh, with stem and stern in place. You can also see they're, they're beginning to excavate the, uh, up in the corner there. Uh, you can see them excavating the basement, the foundation of what would become the Calatrava, uh, the Quadrachi Pavilion. This is the first shot I ever took with my first professional camera. This is the uh, November of 1997. They were getting ready to cover the boat, as you can see there, with that Dutch barn enclosure, which made photography very difficult thereafter. It's very close, it was very, uh, the light was lousy, and of course this is before the digital age, so it was quite a skunky mess in there, and I struggled very badly for a number of years. Uh, this is the original uh, shipwrights. Uh, we did have nine at the peak of the effort. We had nine professionals guiding hundreds of volunteers. These are the nine guys, uh, including our second shipwright, uh, Peter Little, on the far left there. He still works with us. He's still here in Milwaukee, and he's kind of uh, a go-to guy when we have major refit work. Uh, you can also see Lily, the yard dog. She was, every shipyard must have a good dog. Now, I did not know about this photo, but I found in the pursuit of the book, this is uh, shipwrights uh, at Wolf and Davidson in the late 19th century. So you can see that was a pretty salty bunch of dogs there. Uh, so the, there it was, and there it was. <laughs> Pete Seeger came. That's also a younger, thinner version of me photographing with my old uh, mechanical 500 cm Hasselblad. It's hard to imagine such a clunky machine was necessary for photography in those days. Pete Seeger, of course, if you know, folk music was a quite, quite an impactful person. He came twice, actually, wrote a song about Dan Sullivan that was very uplifting. This is bending uh, the, uh, the frames, or excuse me, the planks, the ship's hull, basically, creating the ship's hull. The frames are raised, and then those big oak planks, three inches thick, have to be bent on to the hull. And that is accomplished by soaking it in boiling water uh, about an hour per inch, so about three hours per plank. And you get what we call a gun crew together. These gentlemen are getting ready to pull the plank out of the steam jenny, and then it would be run into the enclosure and uh, uh, trundled onto the hull, uh, which was quite a procedure. We don't like to talk about it, but the Sullivan does have two engines uh, for emergency, uh, for, for regulation reasons, safety regulation reasons, uh, and in order to get as a as a educational platform to get from point A to point B in a timely fashion, the engines are often helpful. They're not particularly sexy, but they're there. Uh, this is uh, uh, caulking the hull, which is a traditional method, uh, something that the building Sullivan is sort of a mix of modern and traditional technique and tools. This is pretty traditional. Everything from the caulking mallet to the making iron, uh, you can see then there's like a cotton bat that gets rammed in between the planks and then it's sealed with pitch, pine pitch. These big, heavy lead ballast blocks are then hung 
on the keel because the boat does not have a drop keel centerboard like the Challenge, which you see out in the uh, building here. Uh, she is weighted down with these lead keel blocks, which weigh as much as a small car, actually significantly more than a small car, 15,000 pounds a piece. There's seven of those. This is uh, when the vessel was named in 1999. Jerry Sullivan named it for his grandfather, Dennis Sullivan. Unfortunately, Jerry Sullivan passed away just last week. Uh, so he was critical, one of the critical figures, um, kind of came up with the first, what you call a lead grant, a sizable donation that allowed us to get the keel built in 1995. Now, the next big twist in the story, when the boat was built, the city engineer came down, as John and I have talked about, the site we are standing on now is built largely of hog guts and garbage and God knows what. And uh, so they were concerned, even when they built the boat, that will this crappy land hold the weight of about 115 tons of this boat? And it was determined after some soil borings that that was going to be fine. The plan then was to build the boat, build a hull, pick it up with two cranes, and just drop it nicely in the water here at the municipal pier. However, uh, somebody fortunately had the presence of mind to say, we should probably retest the soil to make sure that it will also support the weight of those two cranes plus the hull. Well, it turns out, no, I would not uh, support the cranes. And if they had tried that, the whole, the whole pier would have slumped into the water and there would have been a very, very sad beginning to uh, uh, a schooner story, uh, as you can imagine. So they sort of, everybody went back to the drawing board. What they came up with was hiring a, a house-moving company to jack the boat up, put these semi-trailer truck wheels under it, turn it 90 degrees, ramp it onto this deck barge, and then tow it over to the port of Milwaukee, where it was picked up by the big stiff-legged Derek over at the port and uh, gently set into the water. The first uh, schooner to taste fresh water here in Wisconsin I think it's 105 years, Joe, 103, something like that. Long time. She's also one of the nerds at the Wisconsin Marine Historical Society figured it out. She was the 131st wood, large wooden ship built in Milwaukee. There's old Joe Ewing, old mean old man Joe Ewing, who has accumulated something like 73,000 volunteer hours. Uh, he's still with us. He's literally right there. This is... Uh, Joe putting, uh, as was traditional, putting under the mast key, where you would step the mast, and the, the mast sort of sits in the key, which is, is carved right into the keel of the ship. You put a coin under there as a, a sort of a luck charm. That's a 19, an 1848 gold coin. Uh, 1848, of course, being the year. Wisconsin uh, became a state. The Sullivan was declared one of the state's sesquicentennial projects. In, 98. This is a view of the sail plan, and that's the Lucius Simpson on the right there. She was sort of the historical doppelganger of the Sullivan. Here's flying the first uh, sails, the jib sails. We brought a crew in from, most of the work was done by local people. The rigging was fussy enough, they brought a crew in from Lunenburg, Nova Scotia, to do that work. Sea trials, that's Terry. McMahon there at the helm, he was one of the original, those five guys in the General Sentinel photo. He's still the chairman of the Marine Committee here all these years later. Then we built the boat, we launched the boat, and nobody really knew what to do with the boat after that. So we had a period of three or four years where we did a variety of things, none of which were terribly successful. Providentially, uh, to this story, Mike Cudahy, uh, who some of you may have heard of, he's 
quite the figure here in Milwaukee. He got involved in 2000. Uh, he could see the boat from his, he had a, an apartment at that time at Karei Tower. And he got involved with both feet. And it was determined at that time the boat was going to run south for the winter. And we needed some sort of physical presence here year-round. So this was the original concept. It was to be called Pier Wisconsin. And uh, everybody hated it. Everybody hated the building. It turned into this ugly thing. Uh, back and forth in the media. Uh, there's the uh, former uh, uh, director of the art museum. Mm, no, this will never do. And uh, Mike standing behind him getting ready to kick him. Uh, so it, was, it went around and around. It nearly killed again. Another twist. The fighting about what this building that we're standing in, sitting in, should be almost killed the project for a fifth or sixth time. And uh, fortunately, everybody got it together. There was a design competition. We came up with the current building that we're all sitting in. And the Cradle of Dennis Sullivan, the old uh, auto and passenger pier, was demolished in 2004. There's Mike and Mayor Barrett sporting a mustache. On uh, groundbreaking day, there's a scene from the air about 2006, uh, probably 2005, summer of. Of course, we now have the challenge in the building. Uh, in the event that Sullivan is not here, we do have a schooner presence, a beautiful little 80-foot boat that was built, the historical version was built in Manitowoc in the 1850s, and she was quite a pretty thing. She was also small enough, the hull is small enough to fit in the circumference of the round building. Rob Stevens, who was the final shipwright of Sullivan, also built the challenge. He was one of the saltiest dogs I have ever photographed. He just looks like a tall ship guy. And our fabulous aquariums, which followed when this boat was still running south, followed sort of a trip of the Sullivan from Lake Michigan down to the Caribbean. The fish sort of mimic that. This is a rabbit hole. I'm going to go really fast. This is the Sullivan. That is an ROV. This is me destroying my camera, so I have to put it in there because I ruined an $8,000 camera getting this picture. But uh, we talk about invasive species. This is very, uh, I think, emblematic of that in a very visceral way. This is the SS Milwaukee, which sank in 1929 in a terrible storm just north of here, off of Fox Point. Uh, she went to the bottom. They didn't know where she was until 1972, where she, she was discovered uh, on the bottom at 130 feet of water. I took this photo. It's a whole shipwreck, and it's a whole train wreck. I took this photo in 1995. You can see that's a truck. Uh, train truck, uh, a boxcar truck, clean to the point that you could, I'm sure I could go on, you could see the maker's stamp there, you could uh, probably figure out where that truck was manufactured. That's how clean that wreck was 80 years later. This is the name, the pilot house actually blew off the ship when it sank, the compressed air blew the pilot house way off the main body of the wreck, and the name Milwaukee was clearly visible, that's the pilot house door, clearly visible above that pilot house. Uh, the captain's spittoon was still in the pilot house. Uh, his pocket watch was still in the pilot house. This is what it looked like in 2008. Absolutely covered with quagga mussels. Absolute, to a point where I could dive down, I could go back 50 feet, I could set up a tripod on the bottom of the lake, we drove the ROV into the pilot house, and I could take this picture of the entire structure. Because the water has been filtered to a point that it's almost Caribbean in its clarity, which is great for pictures, but you can see that all of that wonderful detail, the name of the ship, for instance, which was so haunting to see, is now gone. It's completely consumed, it's covered by these quagga mussels, and you can see how they're all over the bottom, too. I read this statistic today, someone correct me if I'm wrong, but this came from NOAA, from, from a scientist in Muskegon, 
he estimates there are 950 trillion quagmiles in Lake Michigan. They filter all of the water in the lake six times a day. It's amazing. It's an amazing problem. Uh, perhaps only worst problem might be the Asian carp if they get here. We're not sure if that's going to happen or how bad that will be. But the quagga mussels have been devastating to shipwrecks, and they haven't been terribly friendly to the sport fishery either. That's a whole other talk. I won't go down that rabbit hole. So just some quick, I talked about my book. These are just some contemporary photos. The book is three parts. The thing that got the book started was John Garda getting involved, saying, I will do this with you, and then I could finally convince some other people that this is worth doing. So the book is the story of building the Dennis Sullivan. It's my photos uh, of life on the boat over a period of 10 years, and then it's John's uh, piece about Milwaukee and how Milwaukee came to be here and the influence of water. It should have been the first thing in the book, but there was an argument about that that I will not go into. Uh, so these are my photos of the boat. Uh, quickly here, there's old mean old man Ewing at the helm. Uh, and this was coming down the Gulf of St. Lawrence. I have never been more poisonously seasick. I also crashed another camera on that trip. This is coming back. We used to have kind of a, a fun event uh, when the boat would come back for the for the summer, this was in 2008, and we had two, count them, two tornado warnings during the party, which ruined the whole thing for everyone. This is lunch uh, aboard the Sullivan. We blow the conch shell. Uh, traditional method probably would have been ringing a bell, but we use this old conch shell. Here's, of course, we are uh, predominantly an educational platform. Here we are leaving uh, Schooner Harbor with a boatload of school kids, some school kids from Japan. And that winch there on the deck, we're sampling the lake bottom. And uh, the kids get them go into the onboard lab on the boat and uh, examine what they find. This is some uh, maintenance work up at Burger Boat, which is another kind of cradle of shipbuilding in Wisconsin. Uh, a firm that goes back 100 plus years, still there. Second Battle of Lake Erie in 2013. This is really neat uh, to be involved in. Uh, over a dozen tall ships sort of recreating the battle. Some of my favorite weather shots, and like many good photos, they were this almost never happened because I decided it was kind of a gray morning and I was going to go back to bed. And boy, am I glad I did not, because uh, it was pretty extraordinary. This is the scariest photo in the book. You can see uh, uh, the uh, mate up at the up at the cross tree there on the foremast. Uh, he's deploying the Rafi sail, which is sort of a signature sail on a, on a Great Lakes schooner. And uh, this is what it looks like from up above. I do not like heights, and I was very happy to have this photograph in the can. And I, I almost checked it out and did it at the dock, but I decided, no, you must do it. You must do it underway. And uh, there's a little, just a little maintenance. This is what we're doing in the spring and in the fall uh, when the boat is not operating. We're fixing it, basically, like any wooden thing, it's a constant headache. One last little series here. This is a wonderful photo. It gets back to my original uh, underwater, uh, above and below. This is the Dennis Sullivan over the grave of the Rouse Simmons, which you may have heard of, the famous Christmas tree ship, which sank with a load of Christmas trees in 1912. We went out there with an ROV crew uh, in 2008, and uh, this is just a very eerie morning out over the wreck site uh, off of Two Rivers, Wisconsin. Here's a sonar image of the Rouse Simmons on the bottom of Lake Michigan. You can see uh, this device, that yellow device there, uses sound instead of light to paint 
the image of the wreck on the bottom in about 180 feet of water. Here's the wreck. Now, again, you can see the zebra mussels or quagga mussels. You can see how clear the water is. It's wonderful for survey work, uh, but a lot of the small stuff has been covered and crusted, consumed. Here's a total photo mosaic. One of the great things about digital cameras is they are infinitely more sensitive to light than film was, so you can do these sort of wonderful uh, digital mosaics of the wreck site. Uh, it's difficult to appreciate at this scale, but if you zoom in on this thing, you can see every, every smashed piece of decking and all of the rigging and everything else that's uh, crushed and broken on the uh, bottom of Lake Michigan. This is me losing my hearing trying to get this photo. Our only wedding underway, Scotch-toberfest. Uh, no one listened to us, and I think everyone was seasick by the time it was done. They, no one took any kind of uh, dramamine. This is my all-time best memory of sailing on the Dennis Sullivan. This is the Little Traverse Bay. It's just a beautiful night. This is, of course, as the season winds down. I'm not sure how the crew feels about this, but this is the haunted ship. Kids love it. And the last images here. This is the schooner Joseph uh, in the, uh, John may know better than me, if this is the Menominee or the Milwaukee River. You can see Milwaukee Western Coal. That's how you know it's Milwaukee. It's very rare to see a picture of a whole crew turned out for a photograph, however reluctantly they might have done it. Uh, so I, I was really fond of this picture. It's in the book. And what I decided to do, one of the things we were doing for the Built on Water Project is a, sort of a now and then compilation of, of images as they were and now as they are, uh, scenes scenes on the river and on the lake. So here, uh, kind of as a last minute thing, I had the crew, they were downreading the boat in October or whatever, and I said, hey guys, here's this old photo, why don't you go try to do this, which they were very kind to do, and so you have what, whoops, whoops, what was, and what is, so. They look very bad, don't you think they look very salty? Uh, and then this is my final, I always end on this slide, and it's only because of our fine schooner captain who's here with us that uh, we were sitting around the office. This sort of weather rarely happens in September. This was the worst storm in 30 years in 2011, September of 2011. Because the boat was still in the water, and the small boat was still in the water, uh, I've been trying to get this photo for years, and in a telephoto, you just could never get into the middle of it. So we. Uh, Tiff and I put on our dry suits, and we went out in the Zodiac, and we got as close to the break wall as we safely could, and uh, got, got just the, the sun went away, and things didn't cooperate, and then we were just about ready to pack it in, and this wave hit the break wall, and uh, that top of that uh, lighthouse is 86 feet off the water, so that wave, the spray at least, is going up well over 100 feet uh, into the air, and then you get this, what's called a seiche effect, uh, Northeast storm pushes the water down like a bathtub down towards Chicago, and it raises the water level. So the break wall was almost, as you can sort of see here, the break wall was almost submerged uh, at that point. Uh, it was just a stupendously powerful thing to witness, and uh, unfortunately got one good frame. So that's it. You guys have been super patient. Thank you. That's a lot of information to absorb. If anyone has questions, go to John. Uh,